2: that's hypothetical, hyperthetical. H Y P E R T H E T I C A L. Hey, everybody, I'm Sarah Sentry. This is Bitches on Comics. Welcome to my co host. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, I'm Essie Fleaver. Hi. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, Sarah, you're my favorite. And today we have a very special guest. I am freaking pumped. We have Ria Brodel. Hi, Ria. Hi. Tell us a
1: little bit about yourself. What's, what's your whole bag? Well, I am an artist. I primarily have been working in what they call drawing, but sometimes I call painting. Um, <laughs> works on paper, narrative-based, and I also am a teacher, and I'm based in Boston these days. You stay busy, it seems like. I do, yeah. or try to. Amazing.
0: One of the reasons we're super pumped to have Rhea here is their incredible project, which is called Butch Heroes. If you've been listening to the podcast, you've probably heard about Butch Heroes on episode 35, where we made it our comic of the week. As we like to think of comics as, hey, you know, you got some pictures, you got some words. That's a comic for us. So we are super pumped to have you here, Rhea. We are just like so excited to talk about this project, which is just in so many ways, a love story for queer communities and, and gender variant history. And that feels so special. So thank you for taking the time to talk with us. I'd love to start with just when someone asks you, when they're like, Rhea, what is this Butch Heroes? Like, what do you tell them? How do you describe
1: the project? <laughs> yeah, good question. Good question. Well, one, first I say that it's like something that stemmed from just a personal exploration. I was really curious how queer folks lived throughout history, like how we made a life for ourselves, how we survived, what we did, how we communicated, how we found each other. And yeah, that's how it started. Like we kind of trying to answer that question, that just curiosity. And so I I start with that. And then I tell them that it's a painting series, primarily. It started as research-based paintings and portraits. And then it became a book because I realized that the stories and the paintings went together. And I really wanted to also share my, my sources. And yeah, that's generally how I talk about it. It's a very uh, like factually accurate. You know? wow. <laughs> like it's It feels
0: very like, let me hit you with the highlights. For me, it's like I said, like a love story. And it, it is so emotionally potent. Mm-hmm. Like every single story that you have researched and crafted the way that you have is just I guess the way I think of it is is it's like another hole in the facade of queerness being new, right? Like, we're told all the time that, like, there's only two genders and, you know, people were straight throughout history. And we're like,
1: uh, I know that's
0: not true. And now it's like
1: I have a book of evidence, you know? Yeah, totally. And that was really, really important to me, that aspect of, like, to show the facts, like, to show, like, hey— This is, I wanted to find as many people as I could. I wanted to outline all of my sources so I could say, like, this is the truth. We have always been here. We're not like, you know, unnatural in any way. We're not a 21st century invention. We've been here. And if anything, history was way more diverse than we
2: know. The whole design of the book is just gorgeous, but I really appreciated the cover and the way that when you open it, it feels like it's going to be a treasure trove, kind of. (laughs) And of course, that is what it is. But I kind of was just wondering, how did the packaging of this book come together? Because it has such a unique look to it that I just thought it was interesting and was wondering what involvement you had in that.
1: Yeah, definitely. The MIT Press version is kind of how I wanted it to be from the beginning, like, I knew early on in the painting series that I wanted it to be a book. And because the paintings were based off of Catholic holy cards, I wanted that book to kind of look religious as well. So I immediately thought of like, you know, when you're in a Catholic church in the pew in front of you, usually there's a missal, which is like usually a brown or a red or a black leather book with a ribbon or multiple ribbons. And in it, like it's the hymns and some prayers and things like that. And I wanted the style of the book to kind of mimic that, to go with that kind of Catholic vibe. But when I made the first version of the book, I self-published it, and that was way out of my price range. So, right. <laughs> um, so I I did my best, like it was um, still, you know, referencing the Catholic Church. But then when I handed that copy to MIT Press, and I told them what I envisioned, it's what they came back to me with. And yeah, they surprised me with that.
2: That's so interesting. I had no idea that you had self-published initially.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah. What's your relationship with self-publishing? Have you done like a lot of that? or
1: No, this was the first time I had done. I knew I wanted it to be a book. So I asked a lot of my mostly photographer friends because they are more familiar with making books of their work. And it was just so daunting. I was like, okay, well, I had no idea how to find a publisher uh, (laughs) or get an agent or any of that kind of thing. And so um, I just started researching self-publishing houses. And and I found one in Berkeley, California called Edition One. And I chose them mostly because, well, they had a price calculator right on their website, which was really handy. <laughs> right. And they let me do a really small edition and I could really customize it to be how I wanted it. So
2: that's Awesome. So I just got finished rereading the article that SE did through sci-fi. I was curious because there's some conversation about, obviously, the importance of religious aesthetic in the book. Mm -hmm. But also, as somebody who's done a bunch of research, you know, I'm kind of like a history nerd. I was kind of more curious, I guess, about how you did research for this. Like, was it something that you just were kind of casually doing or did you always go into it being like, I'm going to make this
1: It definitely was like targeted. First, it was pretty casual. Like first it was like, okay, can I, what is there available to me? Like what, what can I find? And, and that was just like at first going to the public library and getting kind of frustrated with what the public library had in their collection in terms of queer books. It was very male centric, Mm -hmm. very European, lots of stuff on Rome and um <laughs> and that is not not at all like what that's I the epitome of queerness oh yeah, totally. <laughs> not at all what I wanted but then again like it might have it's probably improved since then because I started this in 2010 so sure, yeah. um there was not a lot of books that I could find on trans stuff non-binary wasn't in our language yet I mean it might have been but it I didn't come across it till recently and so it was kind of rough at first, just trying to find where to look. But libraries are really helpful. And luckily in Boston, I have a lot of libraries around me. So, right, and then from there, like as I would find names of people, then that would direct me to different places. So like newspaper archives and other databases and, and things like that, or other types of collections. So it just depends on the on the painting itself and the direction I need to go.
2: Right, I definitely have spent a lot of time because I think that that's something that people don't always intrinsically understand. When you talk about queer history, is you're Mm -hmm. just like, I have to go to archives, Mm -hmm. (laughs) like I have to travel. You know, it's like I'll hear that there's a queer-run zine library in Milwaukee, and be like, I got to go check that out. You know, I've got to go see that library, and the things that you see in that library, you don't see anywhere else. It's not universally tracked so i think that that's part of why i was so compelled by butch heroes it's so nice because it's like the missing pieces of a puzzle right Mm -hmm. just kind of all filling in Mm -hmm. so i think that there was there's something really intriguing to me about that process i guess
1: yeah and i have to say that like i'm thankful to all of the researchers that did this work before me too because without their help like without archivists without people like you know digitizing things who knows like what I could find uh, would have been even more limited. So I can't imagine had I done this project like before the internet, it would, I'd still, it's impossible.
2: (laughs) Yeah, a hundred percent.
1: Yeah. What was the
0: moment that made this move from an idea to a project?
2: Yeah,
1: good question. I'm trying to remember. I mean, I'm actually... Thinking about that moment a lot these days because it is like it's been 10 years working on this project. So I've been in it for so long that I kind of forget what it's like to be in a stage where you're sort of navigating like a new project. But I remember Mm -hmm. finishing up or feeling like I was finishing up the previous project, which was a project called The Handsome and the Holy. And it was similar, it was not super text heavy. It was kind of painting vignettes on paper, like a lot of self portraiture. And I was finishing that up and That's what kind of spurred the question of, you know, how did we survive in history? How would I have survived? I had done a piece looking to myself like in the future, like as kind of a joke. And then I was like, oh yeah, well, what about the past? Like what if I was born into a different century? And And I was just kind of ruminating on that. And I started to kind of do the research, but then I wasn't sure what form it would take. And I have a lot of kind of awkward drawings from that time where it's kind of not like, Butchiros is in there, but it's not quite in there. Like there's Mm -hmm. one where I'm like, hanging out with Catalina Durazo or Antonio and we are like wearing similar clothing like kind of conquistador garb and we're having a sword fight or there's another drawing I made where we're sitting on a bench in a park and we're exchanging you remember those like best friend necklaces where the heart would break yes. in half yeah, <laughs> totally so it was like these awkward pieces before bochiros where I was trying to figure out like what is it going to look like you know
0: Oh my gosh. I hope those drawings, if like if the next volume comes together, I hope you'll put them in back matter. I would like die to see those. That sounds adorable. Um, when I look at this project, so much of what I see is it's both an act of telling history, but it's also an act of creation, right? Mm. To create mm-hmm. ourselves through the stories we tell each other. Yeah. And so to to see that you like literally inserted yourself into these historical <laughs> moments, like that's so cute. I yeah. love it.
1: Yeah, I've been thinking about that a little bit more. Like I'd forgotten about those early drawings and I was like thinking about the next direction of this. Like what if I continued on that theme? You know, like maybe I'm like painting with Rosa Benoit or something in the park or I don't know. But
0: Oh, I love it. Well, I'm excited <laughs> to see what that I don't know becomes. I feel like that's such a part of my creative process. Totally. Where I'm like I'm in the I don't know phase. So yeah. I'm just brainstorming and doing things and hating them and loving them and feeling very confused. Exactly. Yeah, it's
1: so... <laughs> It's so weird in that phase, but simultaneously kind of fun. I guess I have to remember or maybe take my own advice sometimes. Like I talk to my students, like when they're trying to figure out their ideas and what to do. And I'm like, well, what are you most excited about? You know, like you should do what you're most excited about.
0: I love that. Yeah. I write novels and I I was in a class where I was just like, I was not sure, you know, I was like at at a place with my novel where I hated it. I'd been working on it so long and I asked the teacher, I was like, how do you know when to give up? And it's similar advice. Uh, she said, you know, when you're bored with it. Yeah. Like if you're bored with the story, none of your readers are going to be into it, no matter how long you've been on it. So oh, yeah, if you're bored, give up on it. But if you're yeah. not bored, it's worth pushing through. Yeah, and that, that was like such- a defining moment for me because it was like, oh, I was conflating going through a very hard revision with, you know, giving up, whereas I was just having a hard time.
1: <laughs> right. Yeah. And it's like, I don't know where I'm at with Butchera. I was like, it's been 10 years. I've made a lot of paintings since the book came out. So I would like to have another volume to show those paintings as well. But listening to myself, how to know like when to move on or like, and also it's been such a big part of my life for so long, like kind of feeling guilty about even thinking about moving on, you know? Yeah. But then you have to remember, Jennifer Aniston
0: played Rachel for 10 years, you know? like so true. It worked out for her. Not that Friends is good, but like it worked out for her career. So I don't That's know. Uh,
2: I was actually thinking of Melissa Joan Hart and how long she was on sitcoms. Like 20 years she was on sitcoms.
0: How long just... she
2: was on Sabrina alone because yeah. like that was hilarious because the whole time she's the teenage witch and then it's like, no, it's been like 10 years. You're <laughs> you know? 27. And weirdly, you do still look like you're 15.
0: Yeah, totally.
2: It's okay, but it's weird.
0: Oh, that's funny. And there are also three Sabrina movies. See, this is what we are saying anyway. in the tangents. We're like, <laughs> you know, these are the things we worry about is the Sabrina movies. Um, so I'm actually curious if you could tell, you know, our listeners a little bit about the paintings themselves and, you sure. know, where they can view them or like, are they in a gallery? Like,
2: I would love to hear about that. I was curious, too, because you've done museum exhibits, right? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, they, it's so cool. Yeah, they are in um, some different collections around. So... A number of them, I want to say 14 of them maybe, are at the Davis Museum at Wellesley College. So you can, I think currently, because they had them on view... I can't remember when, but they had them on view for a year. And so because they work on paper, they have to rest. And so they are going to be resting for three years in the prints and drawings room. So you can still request to see them but they're not on view. And then there's a few at the Minneapolis Museum of American Art. There's one that's going to be on view at the Henry Art Gallery in Seattle as part of a group show. Actually, I just found that today. The show is called Plural Possibilities and the Female Body, and it talks about all the stuff around that, like basically just differences in, in gender, like what that means, challenging the traditional conceptions of beauty and a fixed gender binary that's off of their website. So I'm pretty excited about having a piece in, in that show. So if you're in Seattle or Minneapolis or here around Boston, yeah.
0: That's so cool. And then you, you also host some on your website, correct?
1: Yes, they're all on my website and it's up to date with all of the paintings. Uh, And then I usually use my Instagram to show process shots or, you know, make announcements about shows or talks or things like that.
0: And your website is RiaBrodell.com, correct? And your handle is at Ria Yeah, yeah. Okay.
1: We'll have that all in
0: the show notes, folks. So if you don't know how to spell anything, don't panic. Just come on over to our website, BitchesOnComics.com, and all the info will be there in today's episode's show notes. I think this is like an interesting segue too, because talking about the plural possibilities and the female body, we talked mm-hmm. about this before and I kind of have to feel my way through the question
2: sure. because I
0: want to talk about the word butch and yes. I want to talk about the way your project resists the gender binary and mm-hmm. resists labels. I mm-hmm. think that's part of what's really important about what you're doing here. Yeah. And so I'd love to know, like, how did you settle on the word butch? When you use it, what does it mean to you? Mm-hmm. And and how does that reflect in yeah again resisting these sort of labels and binaries that we're told are
1: important definitely yeah and i think my choice in using the word butch has been like probably the thing that's caused the most i don't know controversy is a tough word but i could say controversy like because there are people who are very very attached to the word butch and i'm using it in a way that's a little bit more broad i suppose and i'm using it because it's a term that's familiar to everyone And it's a term that has a history in the queer community, specifically the lesbian community. But it also just means strong and masculine and tough and fearless. And it's a word that also was kind of, as a kid, kind of thrown around in a derogatory way towards me. And I wasn't sure, like, why. I knew the choice would probably be kind of tough for some folks because I am not using Contemporary terminology for the people in the book, the people that have chosen to paint, because I don't know how they would specifically identify if they were given all the choices that we have. Um, right. But I still think Butch is an appropriate term because it means just that. It means tough and masculine and courageous. And that's what I want.
2: I think about how every single story is something that is kind of aspirational, even though it's very tragic a lot of the time. Like mm. these are stories where you're giving the context and saying, you know, a lot of times, like, what records do we have of somebody, you know, hundreds of years later? And usually it's like, well, their birth, their death, you know, like a couple of other details. Mm -hmm. And in that, there's all of these scenes of tragedy in the book, of course, you know. But at the same time, it's kind of a hopeful book. It's definitely a book that made me Cry and also be really inspired at the Mm -hmm. same time because I just think that as you call them heroes, like I think that that's an important word to discuss as well because a lot of times, yeah, they are heroes, right? Yeah. It's kind of an interesting thing to think about because a lot of times the heroic thing that they're doing in this book is just being who they are. There's parts where this person was told that they can't keep dressing this way or something like that, Mm -hmm. and then they did, and then that led to their deaths, you know, Mm -hmm. and stuff like that. It really is so heroic to read.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Each story is different, and each story is, yeah, whether it ended tragically or whether it ended in a way like we maybe don't know what happened. That happens more often than not, like not, right. not like how their lives ended up after they came to fame. But I think just like existing the way they did fighting to live the lives that they wanted to live is, is heroic in itself.
0: Yeah. I mean, so often that's what would bring me to tears is not, not the horrific ramifications of their bravery, which, you know, not every story ends terribly, but plenty do. Mm-hmm but really instead it was the the audacity to know that could happen and still live your life for mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. you know i felt so inspired especially you know in this in this uh time of trump which is uh drawing to a close the fear has been so so high and that's you know trump is not the reason blah 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 yes i get it everyone who wants to know at me please do i love you <laughs> at me all you want but i think that there's something to be said in a time, you know, and it's really the last decade and in times when we are seeing trans people being discriminated against, murdered, when we're seeing queer people be discriminated against, attacked, murdered. Mm -hmm. It's really powerful to say, yes, this hatred has existed, Mm -hmm. but this diversity of gender, this diversity of sexuality, this diversity of, of an experience in one's body has too. And so there's, there's a resilience there and a, you know, it's like the way that when I think about Marsha P. Johnson and Sylvia Rivera, mm-hmm. I I feel stronger, you know, because I can yeah. look at an ancestor who put their ass on the line for all of us. Yeah. And, and that makes me feel connected to a history in a way that, you know, again, our society is deeply vested in divorcing us from. So I, I think that it's important, like Sarah said, the word heroes is so important because we have to be able to see what being a hero means in these specific contexts and to take courage to be like heroic in our own ways. Right. Like to not put myself away. Uh, Yeah. You know, sometimes for safety, I do here and there, whatever. Everyone's got to make their choices, but it feels, it feels incredible to know, God damn it. I'm not alone. And I've never been alone. Yeah, exactly. Like
1: that's what I think, like, I didn't expect this project to do for me. Like I just, started it because I was curious and I wanted to, you know, I'm an artist and it was a project I thought of and didn't really think past that. But what happened was it ended up giving me a lot more confidence to be in the, in the body. I have a lot more confidence to like identify however I want Mm. and to just know that like, yeah, that we have ancestors, we have a history and to know like, if they can do this, I can do this too. We can all live our lives. I love it. I
0: wanted to talk a little bit about the idea of like the Catholic holy cards. Mm -hmm. And then for you, what is the religious or spiritual aspect? Or is there one for you?
1: I'm not Catholic anymore. And I don't know, I have a complicated relationship with it. It currently, like I would say, has been making me very angry, probably because of the election. And a lot of my Catholic relatives like being Trump supporters only because they're pro-life makes no sense to me. And so my relationship with Catholicism in this moment is very tense. Whereas in the past, even though I haven't been Catholic since I was probably 17 or 18, it was a relationship of sort of nostalgia and still some comfort and still some like, I almost said admiration. I don't think admiration is the right word, but just like a little bit of respect still. And now I'm like, no, it's part of my history and I still love the iconography and I and I love the stories, but it makes me sad now. I don't really think of myself as a spiritual person anymore. Yeah, I don't know. And that's that's also something that I like am kind of grappling with.
2: That can be a reclamation in and of itself, though, right? Like using this imagery that's so important to you mm-hmm. is you know, kind of like a nice way to be able to turn it around a little bit, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like, I still love the imagery. I love the saints. And I love the like, man, like, St. Francis is still one of my like, all time favorite peeps. But like, (laughs) I don't know, (laughs) like, Catholicism itself, the dogma and the hierarchy and all of the baggage is just very problematic. And yeah.
0: Yeah, I think a lot about how I don't see a reconciliation path for me in Christianity and it's Mm -hmm. not important to me in any Mm -hmm. ways. I have like a Catholic side and like a Protestant side of my family. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it's just like twice the baggage. Delightful. Um, But yeah, I wanted to ask because also when I look at the paintings, I've recently started getting into tarot and Sarah's like, you can't talk about tarot in every episode. And actually, she's fine with it. Uh, (laughs) She's like, oh, what part?
2: (laughs) Can this just be a tarot podcast? I'm into it.
0: (laughs) We are not even going to change your name, we're just going to start doing tarot. <laughs> Bitches on tarot. I've actually <laughs> never done,
1: I've never done tarot. I've never had, a, oh. like, yeah, it's something I'm. I'm curious about. Like, I'm definitely more into, like, astrology these days, but... Nice.
2: Same. But yeah. also, this just means that you're going to have this amazing experience whenever you finally do get your tarot card reading. Cool. Awesome. Totally. Because I could
0: totally see you have, like, I could totally see a Butch Heroes tarot deck, just like nice. for the record. like, Yeah, I get that a lot, actually. I think oh, it's, like, oh, it's interesting. Very
1: similar imagery, right? Like, Or style, I would say.
0: Yeah. yeah. And and I think there's something about the way that personages may or may not like hold your gaze. Mm-hmm. Like that mm-hmm. feels really powerful in the different cards. To me, there is a real spirituality to it. And I'm using spirituality because I'm like, I don't know whatever other word to use. It's like yeah. there's an ushy gushiness to it. There's like something <laughs> that we don't have good language for. Yeah, totally. That I feel when I look at these these images. Yeah. And I was thinking about it with like How I was talking about, you know, Sylvia Rivera and Marsha P. Johnson. It's like, I do think that's something that Catholic people have is like a very Mm -hmm. clear connection to where their religion comes from. Mm -hmm. Is it a like sanitized version that has like Mm -hmm. some real political (laughs) influence? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. However, there is the gift of like, I, I come from this experience. And, and yeah. you know, I'm even thinking about Black spirituality and how different hymns tell these stories mm-hmm. of how Black Americans survived enslavement. Yeah. And I think that Butch Heroes gives us a chance of having a sort of, yes, cognitive, intellectual connection with that, but mm-hmm. also this emotional one that feels like it's not just my feelings, even though it is yeah. my feelings, but also like my resonance of like, where I'm supposed to be in the world, why I'm supposed to be here. Things that I see people get from religion and I don't get from that experience. Some of that I I do get here and I get it from books, you know, I'm like, books are my religion for sure.
1: So it makes sense in in a way. But Yeah, and that's a good point. Like, I think about that a lot. Like, what did I get from that experience? Like, Catholicism for me was a connection mostly to those stories and to my family like mostly my grandma and my aunts because they were the ones that told me the stories of the saints and and i i miss that part of it i guess that would be the spiritual aspect like i remember as a kid just knowing that like you know my grandma would tell me to pray to such and such a saint for this such and such a thing and just just have that comfort to be able to like really believe in that and be like mm-hmm. i'm going to be okay because i can pray to saint jude or whatever and I kind of envy that, you know, but at the same time, like, I know that I get that from other places now, right?
2: Yeah. Yeah. And it gets to be your imagery too, you know, like, it's not the same. I read comics a lot, though. And there's always times where people are just like, well, you have to do this or do that in order to be considered a fan of it or something. And I'm like, no, I get to be a fan of it too, because I grew up with it. basically anything that you grow up with you're like no it's mine too (laughs) like I get to also be a person who defines this you know like it can't just all be other people's voices yeah it's part of your story totally that's what I think yeah hey listeners
0: if you don't already you can join us over on patreon We do all kinds of bonus content, bonus episodes where we review our favorite TV and films, sometimes just like random things. And we're like, hey, wanna review this weird thing that's on DC Universe? I think I do. And it is a delight. We also have reading lists that are drawn from our episodes every month that tell you where you can learn more about the shows and the comics that we name drop quickly as we go through a very intense list of things (laughs) because that's who we are. And we want you to join us. You can join us at any level. As little as $2 a month, as much as, hey, you name it. And we will give you this content, share it with you, and you can be even more of a support to a podcast we know you love as you listen to us right now. I'm curious for you, you know, you talked about a sort of catalyst for all of this was a personal exploration. Mm-hmm. You're a decade in. Mm-hmm. How How is your personal journey around your gender, your sexuality, around, you know, being a painter, being a teacher, how are those things influenced or how have they changed or how do you see them reflected in where Butch Heroes is today?
1: Mm. Yeah, that's a tough question. Wow, I don't even know where to start. Uh, <laughs> I think it's because of the place I'm at right now with Butch Heroes. I'm in a place where I didn't anticipate being, and I think it has a lot to do with COVID. And I think it has a lot to do with where we are right now in our society, like just amplified injustices and the election. And um, I've been questioning a lot whether the project needs to shift, whether I've, I don't know, I'm, I'm usually pretty harder work right away. Like after I finish one painting, I'm right to the next one, right? And I finished one, I don't remember when, but it's been tough to get back into it. It's very hard to focus and to concentrate. And I'm never, I'm usually not that person. So I'm in a point where I'm like, okay, like what does it look like now? I'm trying to listen to myself basically, like to listen to like what it has taught me and where it needs to go. And I don't, I don't know, like I'm starting to also think about, I set out very, very specific criteria when I started the project because I wanted to keep it very, very personal. And I wanted to answer that question, like how would I have survived? And and now that criteria is kind of becoming kind of like, I'm feeling like I want to break out. Like I want to, I want to like not be stuck with criteria anymore. I want to, I want to investigate more things about gender and sexuality and maybe our history or maybe our future, you know, but I don't know what that looks like, but I'm feeling it. And I'm like, okay, because I'm feeling this I need to like kind of pay attention and figure out what's next you can shop from anywhere doing pretty much anything you might shop
0: while working eating or even listening to this podcast and however you shop we all know and love the thrill of the hunt but do you also know how to get the thrill of the best deals because Rakuten shoppers do with Rakuten they get the deals they love with the most savings and cash back and you can get it too Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N.
1: Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for
2: two women.
1: Bobby Cannavale.
0: You can eat it.
1: That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind.
2: This is the story of Harry Dalowitz and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream.
1: So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Does this fit with your, your horoscope right now? Is this what like the stars are telling you?
1: My horoscope. Oh man, yeah. I'm like always reading my horoscope. <laughs> I
0: always make Sarah
1: tell me what my horoscope is. <laughs> She's like, I've pieced I like, it together. <laughs> I strictly read Johnny Nicholas right now, but there was one that I really like. It was just like, okay, holy crap, it struck me in the heart, you know. I feel like it was the one around um the full moon or something. I can't remember. But yeah, there's like lots of changes, right?
0: Yeah. It is a time of cha- my tarot cards keep being like, bitch. Shit's so changing. And I'm like, I'm aware. Like, how is that helpful? And it's like, I don't know. It's on you. I know. Maybe I need to get my tarot read or something. <laughs> <laughs> Might be a good time. Might be a good time. <laughs> oh, man. Do you have like an inkling of what any of the lessons you've learned are? Or is that still like forming for you?
1: Oh, I've definitely learned a lot about our history and the multitudes of ways that gender and sexuality were expressed through time by different cultures like that is huge. I've learned a lot of kind of fun things that I might, I kind of want to do something with, like weird euphemisms and terminology <laughs> for like, you know, lifeless instruments. Let's just say, hell um, yes, I love it. <laughs> so, um, that's a tarot
0: yeah. deck I'd read to that. It's just <laughs> lifeless instruments.
1: <laughs> yeah, artificial <laughs> organs. There's a whole bunch <laughs> of them.
0: Uh, oh my
2: gosh, I love it.
1: Yeah, I'm still I'm still ruminating on that for sure. But I've definitely like learned a lot over the last ten years.
2: This is just reminding me. I had a a zine that was called Lesbian Lexicon, and it just was <laughs> a bunch of terms. Some of which you can keep. Some of which I was like, I'm not fond of that. <laughs> Send it right <laughs> totally. back. Yeah. Um, but a bunch of which that I was just like, I cannot believe somebody made words for this. Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah, man, there's
1: a, there's a lot of them. I should have really been keeping track throughout this whole 10 years and like keeping a list, you know, but yeah. So now if I do anything with it, I'll have to go back and revisit everything. could
0: be fun. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. I hope you do. That sounds hilarious. I was just watching the movie Friendsgiving, which is a new film um, that came out by a, a queer writer and director. And it's about like, her Thanksgiving that she had a couple years ago with like a straight friend and and she's a lesbian. And um, at one point, the character who's kind of her takes mushrooms and sees her three very gay mothers. And it is... Margaret Cho, <laughs> Fortune Feimster, and Wanda Sykes. Whoa. And it is so fucking funny because they just start being like, you're going to find your person. She might be a daddy dyke. She might be a mommy dyke. She might be a baby dyke. And then they just start naming all these terms that I was I was just like in tears. Just like – and that's what it makes you remind me of. It's just like we create words to yeah. to be able to express ourselves. And it's we like do. so
1: – Humans are so incredible yeah. and
0: resilient,
1: you know. Yeah. Words and visuals, and mm. you know, tools and yeah, it's, it's great.
0: I love us. We'll just find a way to do anything. <laughs> if there's a sex act you can
2: think of. We have done it. <laughs>
0: Probably like that. like that about us.
2: <laughs> we being <laughs> like me and we Sarah a word. specifically. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine? That's a whole different
0: podcast. It's good to do
1: new things, right? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's (laughs) it.
0: (laughs) Oh, my gosh. So we haven't really talked about your teaching at all. And I've been super curious about that. So tell us a little bit about what you teach, you know, who your students are. I mean, not their names and their social security (laughs) numbers, probably. But like (laughs) like who's and who do you enjoy working with and what is what's your I don't know. I think so often we think of teaching as something people do on the side instead of like, yeah, even if it is something that isn't your primary work or is. My experience of teachers is there's a mission behind it. So like, what is, what's your mission behind that work as well?
1: Oh, yeah. Um, Yeah, right. That's like always, it's always been like this kind of, there's a lot of folks, especially in the art community that think like, oh, you know, an artist shouldn't be teaching. And, but I find that, man, I learned the most from teachers that were artists and artists that are teachers. And I feel like it is something I didn't anticipate doing, but kind of um, thankfully, fell into it and it really like helps my my artistic practice in that like I stay engaged and I love talking with my students mostly like my favorite thing is talking with them about their ideas on an individual level I love seeing like when they get excited about an idea on a project and I've taught a lot of different classes mostly uh, in the painting and drawing area but I've also done printmaking and yeah I try I started like what was it, last year, like shortly while the book was coming out, I also like designed a course on painting and gender and sexuality. And that that was the first time I was able to really incorporate kind of my own research into um, a class that I designed. And it was great. It was like a really tough challenge. I think particularly because at the time I went through art school, we didn't have gender and sexuality studies. We didn't have like any of those types of courses. So I sort of designed the class from my own research and my own kind of background a little bit, but it worked out pretty well and it was pretty fun to teach that class. And then, I don't know, yeah, I've taught everybody from like high school students to, you know, adults. And right now I'm, I'm mostly teaching college age students. So.
2: That is so cool. Also, it's really awesome that you got to put that class together. That's amazing.
1: Yeah, it was fun. It was like, at first when I was asked to like design a class, I was like,
2: oh, okay, okay, how do I like,
1: it should be like the idea was that would it would be an interdisciplinary class kind of cross-listed between the the gender and sexuality studies department and the painting department. And so mm-hmm. I was like, okay, this is going to be great. And it was like it was so difficult to decide what to put in the in the class because there's just <laughs> so much. There's no way it can all be covered in one semester.
2: Mm -hmm. What I've noticed too, I do mentorship sometimes, which is very different than teaching, but it's kind of similar sometimes. And everything I know about gender, I feel like I learned from people who were like 15 years old or something. (laughs) I'm just like, wow, I never thought about that. Like all of my vocabulary had to catch up and Gen Z definitely was teaching me a thing or two, that's for sure. So
1: Totally. I'm learning new stuff from my students constantly. It's
2: Yeah. Yeah. That's nature of the beast, I hope, because that's kind of like, that's the the good part of being a teacher. Like we always, as a society, kind of focus on things that are, you know, obviously logistically a problem. Teachers not getting paid enough and all of the responsibility that teachers take. But then it's like every teacher who I've ever met is just like always can tell me what they truly love about their job, too. Mm. So,
1: Mm -hmm. yeah.
0: For me, whenever I get to teach, it's always such a beautiful reminder, too, of the basics. Like I have to really think about like what makes you cry when you read a story, right? And it's like, oh, it's this thing we call theme or it's like the veracity of it all. You have to
2: kind of Like, like
1: make that make sense to someone else. Yeah. How do you break it down, right? How do you break down these concepts that are just like, I don't know. Sometimes they're like so, like I forget, like the beginning of this semester I was teaching two sections of beginning painting on zoom which is quite an oh, adventure <laughs> but I like maybe the third class in one of them was like professor can you tell us how to clean our brushes and I was like oh crap <laughs> I <was> like sorry <laughs> I totally forgot about it because it's just so like it didn't even occur to me
0: <laughs> oh I love that You know, I took a a couple different like gender and sexuality courses in in different institutions and times in my education. And I was just thinking about how, you know, there really has to be one in every discipline. Like you Mm -hmm. you just have to, because Mm -hmm. again, the the people who've created academia, the people who have created all the rules by which we know what learning is, are like, you know, predominantly cishet white men with a few cishet white women. Mm -hmm. And it's going to be flawed, right? So yeah. a a tool that is flawed has to be used to sort of like turn it back on itself and and reflect on like, okay, so you've been told that – when you do life drawing, you draw men like this and women like this. Well, mm-hmm. guess what, friends? <laughs> like, <laughs> That's not real, <laughs> you know. And, and I remember I was in a philosophy class, and we were reading a book by a female philosopher who was like very big on like talking about motherhood and like what mm-hmm. what challenges does it present to being. Uh, you know, a feminist. And then like right after that reading Judith Butler and my professor being like, so what do you think now? (laughs) We're all just like, I don't know what to think. You've blown up my whole life. And that's like such an important experience, I think, as we break down the gender binary and or at least the givenness of the gender binary. I don't care if people want to identify as woman or man, more power to you. But I hope as we break down the binary, we can all understand that Mm -hmm. those are placeholder words. They Mm -hmm. describe something that doesn't have language. Gender is not, sexuality is not something that we can like sit around in a group and like dissect and be like, oh yes, when everyone says they feel feminine, that means the same thing. No Mm -hmm. deviation, right? We're all Mm -hmm. on this. It's like, no. My partner has been thinking a lot about their femininity and like how they want to express it, what what it means to them, and sometimes mm-hmm. will ask me questions, and I'm like, oh, I don't. Know. My my brain turns into the dial up noise whenever I hear the word feminine. I'm, like, <laughs> I'm like, I don't, I don't know, oh, man. I don't know what nose. that word means. Such <laughs> you know? a good explanation. Yeah, I like kind
1: of shut down myself actually. So. Yeah,
0: I do it with masculine too, where I'm just like, I don't, I don't know. But people all the time will be like, so do you think it, it like I'll offend non-binary people if I. I write feminine here? And I'm like, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. I'm not offended, but I genuinely don't know what you mean. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Because we, I don't know, like these terms are like changing all the time. They're totally arbitrary. They're so personal. Yeah. Yeah. I was just, as you were saying, they're changing all the
0: time. I just flashed to Winona Earp because they have a character who who is you know, Doc Holliday, but he's mm. from the 1800s. And so he comes back and he's like, you would look so pretty in a nice feminine blue. is like a woman he's flirting with. And then he gets into his car, which is like bright pink. And he's like, oh, pink, so masculine. And it's just like really cute <laughs> and like tongue in cheek because it's like, yeah, these things that we think of as given are so recently determined. You know? Yeah,
1: exactly. Like,
2: oh. So
0: interesting. Yeah, they
2: don't have to be that way. <laughs> I'm just cracking up because I met this guy one time who wouldn't wear a pink shirt. He just wouldn't do it. It was like the only shirt. And he was just like, no, thanks. I'll just wear this dirty shirt instead. And it was like, <laughs> why? <laughs> it's yeah. just like, that's hilarious. It's genuinely hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> like, <Yeah. laughs> you just decided that that if you wear that color, it's just a color, then it's going to mm-hmm. determine something about you as a person. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just
1: (laughs) yeah and I think for me like I don't know this is gonna sound like super of course it dawned on me like recently that because of the way I dress I too will be like uncomfortable wearing a pink shirt and it's not because I love I actually love the color pink and it'd be Mm -hmm. cool to wear more pink but it's I realized that it's like I could be okay with it but what I'm not okay with is how people perceive me yeah right and that's what like, I don't know, it hit me and I was just like, Oh, right, that's the big problem is like people's perception of me and like perceiving me as one gender over another. It's like that's the hang up. And so like, how do I how do I get past that?
0: Right. Oh, if you figure it out, will you please let me know <laughs> Just cause... let us know. <laughs>
1: <laughs> what I'm grateful for is
0: I do feel like there's more conversation around what it means to be non-binary than ever before. Mm-hmm. And and mm-hmm. I think it's it's you know, it feels good when someone's like you don't have to look androgynous to be non-binary. And I'm like, yes, thank you. But mm-hmm. I think there's also a layer there that to me is much more specific and has been a big part of my journey, mm-hmm. which is like if if your definition of non-binary requires the the repression of everything that is effeminine, you, yeah. you you fucked up. Like you mm-hmm. missed the mark, friends. Like non-binary is not like light masculine, just like non-binary yeah. is not light feminine. Non-binary yeah. is also like a term that sort of describes a collection of gender identities, right? Mm-hmm. Like there are people who are agender who for them, any kind of gendering is not appropriate. It's like, I'm so happy for my agender friends that they figured it out. Me, yeah. I'm just like, non-binary is very helpful because I just basically have a series of question marks. <laughs> Someone's uh-huh. like,
1: what's your gender? I'm like, mm, wouldn't I like to know? <laughs> yeah, right? Like, I know, like, Somebody asked, I can't remember when this was, but like, I don't know, but I just realized like, I don't have either experience of the binary. Like I don't have an experience of being a woman and I don't have an experience of being a man. And for me, that's what non-binary is. It's like, I don't know. It's a big question mark. You're right.
0: Yeah. And I think, you know, as much as I am not always a fan of like apophatic descriptions, like Mm -hmm. non-Christian or, you know, Mm non-white, I do think with binary, it's really helpful because it's like, I know I'm not these things, but I want to live in this big question mark. And frankly, I want to invite more people to explore the boundaries of what they do know. And to say like, Okay, so yeah, maybe you are a man, but does it feel good when someone tells you to man up? Yeah. Or is that a problem? Yeah. Like yeah. let's talk about it. Like let's also not have a binary on who gets to be non-binary,
1: right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like yeah, so that could
0: be just as problematic. Yep. I love
1: non-binary
2: folks. <laughs>
0: Rhea, you're the best. This is just <laughs> Me like <too>. so fun. <laughs> yeah. Sarah, yeah. did you have any other questions?
2: No, I feel like I just had to take a moment to bask in everybody's presence there for a second. So. <laughs> yeah, totally. One, at
0: one point when I was muted, I was just muted because I was crying because um, <laughs> this is just so lovely. And it's, you know, you've you've done a project that it, it might seem simple, right? Like we're, we're doing mm-hmm. Butch Heroes and it's like, mm-hmm. yes, but to do that in a way where you don't say People are lesbian. People are trans. And mm-hmm. do that in a way where you don't take these anachronistic terms and apply them. Mm-hmm. And and instead, let the story stand up and be the gender diversity. Just yeah. letting people's lives stand there and letting a beautifully and lovingly wrought portrait that there's no fucking way any Catholic, you know, there's no sainthood coming for these folks. No one's putting them in the major history books. But God damn it, we can. And you did. And that, to me is such a symbol of hope in a Mm -hmm. time and in a world where it often feels like there is no hope. And the Mm -hmm. hope is the fact that we exist, but it's also the fact that we are reclaiming our right to exist. Mm -hmm. And that is so much of what I get from Butch Heroes. I think I told you when I uh, when we talked before, like I, I had to read it in very small batches. Mm-hmm. I could only read like four profiles at a time because <laughs> I just needed time to cry after you know, and, like, <laughs> and reflect on like, oh, my God, the resilience, the power, the willingness to be here. And I am healthy. I am with a therapist, people. Please do not freak out. However, I do live with suicidal ideation. It is just a part of my experience of the world. Yeah. And sometimes it's related to gender dysphoria. And sometimes it's just related to my depression. And sometimes I look around and I'm like, what the fuck is this? I don't I, don't, yeah. I didn't sign up for this world. Totally,
1: totally, completely understand that.
0: Yeah, right. I feel like it's very reasonable. Yeah, um I'm <laughs> right there with you,
1: also seeing a therapist.
0: <laughs> yeah. I am okay. I am not going to hurt myself. And I think that as I was reading the book so often, what I felt was that like they stayed and fought. I can stay Mm -hmm. and fight. Yeah. They lived in their bodies. I can live in this body. They didn't have to choose a perfect label because the labels we have today didn't exist then or because, you know, they weren't able to talk about it, which sucks. But either way, I don't have to find a perfect label. Mm -hmm. I can choose a myriad of labels. I can choose one label one day and the next day be like, you know, no more. And I love seeing other people do that. Like the other day I saw someone who was like, hey, I'm going to use she now. I used to use they. They's been good to me. But you know what? She's my pronoun now. And right. I was like, thank God. People <laughs> fucking exploring themselves, asking questions, <laughs> changing their minds. Like this is the goal. Yeah. you know, <laughs> like, To just... Find out who we are. And when I started to come out as non binary, I was like, oh, God damn it. I thought I did all this coming out when my 20s. Like, what is happening? (laughs) I know, right? It feels like it's just, you're just, it's an ever present journey.
1: You're always coming out. And
0: that is what I realized too was that for me, my queerness is a constantly expanding horizon Mm -hmm. where I don't know who I will be when I reach that horizon, because when I reach it, it won't be the horizon anymore. And there will be another one beyond it. Mm -hmm. And so I'm sort of curiously walking through my life like, oh, well, that's surprising. Like the first time I saw Shit's Creek, I was so attracted to David and I identified (laughs) with him so strongly. And I was like very confused. And then I was like, oh, shit, that's like that gender piece I've been sort of leaving in the back of my brain. It's coming out in these moments where I'm like, is that me? Did I just Um, see me on TV as like a rich white guy? That feels weird, but I think that might be me. (laughs) And I don't know. I just want that for everybody. I want everybody to just be able to figure out who we are.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah. Totally. That's so well said. Yeah.
2: You are a lot like David from (laughs) Shit's (laughs) Creek. I really am. Sometimes
1: I'm
0: like, I'm too much even for myself. What are you going to do? <laughs> well, this has been, you know, amazing. This has been great. Thank you. Mm, I'm so happy. <laughs> well, if you would like to learn more about Rhea, we're going to have information in the show notes, but make sure to go to their website, riabrodell.com and find them on Instagram at Rhea Brodel. If you haven't picked up Butch Heroes, just Google Butch Heroes. The book will come up and get it. If you can't afford it, pick it up at your library. If your library doesn't have it, help them out. They need to have it. It's an important work. And, yeah, Rhea, thank you for being here with us. I was going to say on this snowy day, but I'm not in the same place as you. <laughs>
1: it's true. It's like <laughs> the sun is setting over here. But, um, yeah, thank you so much for having me. This has been so much fun. Yeah, it's been great.
0: Oh, thank you.
2: Sarah, I was expecting your signature. Yeah! Um, oh yeah (laughs) because I don't know how to segue like I'm not good at it so I'm just like oh so great (laughs) (laughs) oh so great the end
0: We're a podcast that is all about making comic books more accessible to LGBTQ folks and women. So if you have a question about anything related to comics, comic adaptations, pop culture in general, conventions, cosplay, you name it, that's what we're here for. You can send us your questions at bitchesoncomics at gmail.com. Unfortunately, Gmail does not like the word bitch. They're pretty judgy about it. So <laughs> we can't have it spelled out. It is B dot B t-c-h-e-s-o-n-c-o-m-i-c-s at gmail.com and yeah remember there's no i'm bitch
2: if you'd like to support the podcast you can do so by rating and reviewing us on itunes spotify or stitcher or wherever you listen to podcasts i'm sarah century and you can find me at www.saracentury.com and twitter and instagram still sarah century on those I'm Se Fleenor.
0: You can learn more about me at sefleenor.com. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at at
2: se underscore Fleenor. Bitches on Comics is recorded by Kate Warner, who plays in the band Churchfire. You can find them at ChurchfireMusic.com. Our music is recorded by Katie Taylor, who plays as Earth Control Pill. You can find her music at EarthControlPill.BandCamp.com. Bitches on Comics is recorded in Denver, Colorado.
0: We want to recognize the indigenous peoples who have inhabited and do inhabit this land the Arapaho Nation, the Ute Nation, the Cheyenne Nation, and others who have been erased from our history and collective memories through colonization.
2: Anna Sheridan. New York Times best-selling author of Supernatural Horror, missing for nearly six months now. That's not possible! Is the compass broken, or did I to the Given the circumstances of her disappearance, someone with a more vivid imagination might decide she'd pierce the veil, so to speak. Weak radio signal, 700 meters, closing fast.